Okay, so what I want to do is just remind us where we were at last Sunday and then pray and we'll jump into the message this morning. So, so we're actually wrapping up a, a quick three-part series on prayer, um, very specifically focused on how prayer relates to just our internal life, who we are, how God's made us and designed us. And so we've looked at it um, through the lens of like a remodel inviting God to come in and, and have permission to be in charge in our lives and let him go room by room and do what he wants to do inside of us. And so last Sunday, we, we began to go through the Lord's Prayer where Jesus taught us how to pray, and we looked at three key things from the first portion of that prayer. Um, number one, Jesus calls us to remember our position, our position. God is our Father, and so we're to enjoy an intimate loving, personal relationship with him. And he's also the creator and king of the universe. And so we should have a sense of reverence and awe. And he, so he invites us to come to him as a father that we are in awe of. And we're to hold those two things together. And we miss something out if we come to God with a lot of reverence, but don't realize there's a personal relationship available. We miss out. But also if we come flippantly, like he's just our buddy, our friend, and we don't acknowledge He's the creator of the world and have that sense of reverence for him. Um, we're misunderstanding who he is. And so Jesus reminds us of our position. And then in light of that, our response is to invite him to come do what he wants to do. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And so, so that's about giving him permission. So when we understand properly our position with him, then our natural response is to give him permission to be in charge. You are the king, so come be the king. You're my father, so come be at home in my life. We hand him the keys to the house. And then finally, we talked about then what he does. He provides for us. He's a God of provision, and so he brings daily bread. And that's everything from very practical needs down to the, the deepest needs in our heart and soul, that he, he gives us what we need to sustain our lives. So that was last Sunday. We're going to pick up and finish out this, this prayer that Jesus taught us this morning. And so let me read it one more time, and, and then we'll jump into this. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do invite you in this place. God, we're in awe of the fact that the creator of the world would come and have a conversation with us. Jesus, that you see what's going on in our hearts and lives, you know us, you love us, and you want to share your truth with us. And so, Lord, we're grateful for that. God, we invite you today to open up your word to us. Would it be our daily bread today? Would we be filled and encouraged and sustained by what we learn from you? God, I declare that I need your help to share this and Lord, I think I speak for all of us when I say, Lord, we need your help to walk this out, God, to forgive people, to, to navigate through the temptations and trials that we face. Lord, we need to be rescued and delivered. And so, God, we ask you for help today. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen. So I, I remember really clearly when I was a kid, pretty regularly, a moment would arrive probably once a week where, at least once a week, where I was told it's time to clean your room. Any of you kids in here remember those moments? Did your parents tell you this week maybe even to clean your room? I had a really great strategy. I just shoved everything under my bed. That was how I did it, man. I cleared the room, cleared off the little tabletop. If, the, if you could see the carpet, I figured I was in pretty good shape. So I just shove everything under the bed. And it seemed like a lot of times I got away with that, probably because mom just didn't feel like dealing with the repercussions of what's under that bed. But do you remember those moments every now and then where it was time for some deep cleaning and you couldn't quite get away with that one? It was probably that moment when you couldn't even get everything under the bed anymore. It was starting to peek out from underneath. And so, you know, you just do the thing. I remember like army crawling like a kid back in there to like scoop out the stuff. And like now my version of that as an adult is, is when it's time to move the couch you already know, right? Like you just cringe. It's like what food has been hidden under there that went from gushy and mushy to hard and oh, it's just awful. But you have to do it. Every now and then you just have to pull back the couch and clean up the mess. And I mean, it's the worst. Has anybody ever pulled back the couch and gone, oh, that's not too bad? I've never had that experience. I got six kids, so I definitely don't have that experience. Um, so so here's the deal. There's, there's this deep cleaning that just has to happen at times. Now, what I've learned about deep cleaning, as much as I dread it and avoid it and put it off, and as disgusting as it is when you finally roll up your sleeves and get to work, when it's done, isn't that just the best feeling? When it's clean and you've decluttered and it just feels like there's more light in the house and there's a weight lifted off? Listen, this might seem like a silly analogy, but this is what Jesus is talking about when he invites us to deal with issues like forgiveness and repentance. It's about decluttering. It's about clearing out. It's about lightening the load. And it might be scary and intimidating. And we might be afraid of what's gonna get uncovered if we open up that closet, if we look under the bed if we pull back the couch. But Jesus' offer to us is that it's worth it. It's worth it. And that we can actually go to that God in heaven who we reverence, we stand in awe of him, and we have a relationship with. We can come to him and he'll come get his hands dirty. He's not put off by it. He's not repelled by it. He loves us. And he'll roll up his sleeves and get to work and dig into that mess with us. That's what this prayer is about. When Jesus says, talk to God like this. Deal with forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you as you forgive others. Ask his help in facing and dealing with temptation. Ask him to help deliver you. We're invited to talk to him about this stuff. Guys, that is not our natural response. Our natural response is to do exactly what Adam and Eve did, to run and hide and cover and pretend like everything's all right. But that doesn't last and it doesn't work. His invitation of love is invite me in and let me help you clean up the mess.
And so that's what we're going to talk about together this morning. So um, the first verse we're going to look at, we're picking up in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12. I just want to read this specific portion to you one more time. And so Jesus tells us, go to the Father like this and say to him, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, every now and then, little words make a big difference. I've never liked the fact that the word as is in this verse. God, forgive me just like I forgive other people. That's what that prayer is praying. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands or anything this morning, but do we really want to be forgiven the way that we forgive? Often, that is not the case in my life. I I don't want to be forgiven that way. And so so I I want to just share a few thoughts on forgiveness. I will say, in our faith series this spring, I taught a whole message on forgiveness. And so in early May, part eight of that series, I did a whole message on that. So I'm just going to briefly share a couple thoughts here because we recently looked at this together. But I want to encourage you to consider some things. First of all, he relates this to debt. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. There's other passages that view it like a trespass. Um, And so it's more like we've gone somewhere we don't belong. We've tread on somebody else's ground or territory. Um, We've harmed someone else. But he uses the analogy of debt. Anybody ever experienced the weight of debt in your life? I don't want to hit too close to home. Maybe some people are struggling with that right now. But like, I mean, you feel it. When it's on you, you feel it. You feel that weight. And so what, what he's inviting us to do is remove that weight, remove that burden. Choosing to forgive, asking him to come and forgive. It's about decluttering. Like I mentioned a little while ago, it's about not accumulating debt. Remember, this is a prayer that Jesus is inviting us to pray regularly. This isn't the once a year I'm playing my get out of jail free card and like trying to get out of this mess I'm in. This is is a routine. This is a part of my daily life to talk to God. And one of the things Jesus invites us to do regularly is ask him to forgive us and ask his help to forgive others. He's saying practice living a decluttered life along the way. Don't wait and accumulate baggage. Listen, it can be just as big of of a baggage to have debt over someone else. When someone owes you something and they're not paying it back and it's getting frustrating and difficult to keep having patience and to wait on that, it builds and it builds and it builds. Anybody ever had a relationship like that where you just feel like you're forgiving the same person over and over and over again for the stuff? It accumulates, it builds up. And so this this issue of forgiveness, it's it's about traveling light. It's about decluttering. And it starts, it starts by understanding I need to be forgiven. Um, Man, this this scared me the other day about myself. You know, I, I really think that that we should actually work at, become experts in asking forgiveness. Become experts in asking forgiveness. Not just saying I'm sorry. 
Like when I say I'm sorry, that's different than saying, will you forgive me? That is, that is way more personal. I'm acknowledging the specific harm I've done to you and that I owe you something. And I'm, I'm asking something back, will you forgive me? That is a humbling place to be, to look somebody at and say, will you forgive me? And, and so it scared me the other day. I, this was like a week and a half ago, two weeks ago. I come home, I think it was a Sunday night two weeks ago. You know, I can blame it on whatever I want to blame it on, but the reality was I had a hard conversation with my two oldest daughters and felt very justified in what I was upset about, and I was. <laughs> but how I handled the conversation was wrong. And so the conversation happens, I'm frustrated, they go off to bed, and my wife is lovingly encouraging me, like, you need to go down and make that right, and then I'm fighting with her about it. I'm like, I don't feel bad about what I said. <laughs> they were wrong. They need to fix that. Like, I just, and it was like this wrestling match. And I woke up the next day, I'm like, God, what's going on with me? Like, why was I fighting so strongly against humbling myself and saying, will you forgive me? Like, our flesh fights this, but this is good for us. It's good for us to be able to recognize and acknowledge we need to be forgiven. And guys, the only chance that we have of forgiving other people is if we learn to grapple with how much we need to be forgiven. Part of what, what I do to justify my unforgiveness is I feel like I'm owed something big time. But I'm missing out on how much debt I've been forgiven. And so God connects these together. Jesus connects these together. And he says, he says talk to God about forgiveness. Ask him to forgive you and practice forgiving other people. Declutter, travel light. We need to learn to give and receive forgiveness freely as a matter of habit. Now, the reason this is attached to prayer is because if you try to forgive somebody and you can do it without asking for his help, I'm, I'm impressed. I need help to forgive. It is hard for me. And so prayer is actually a central way that we can learn to forgive. So, so think about it like this. I'll just give you some practical guidance here. Not only pray and say, God, would you help change my heart towards this person? Lord, would you help me forgive this person? I, I would encourage you to go a step further and start praying for that person. Because I guarantee you, whatever pattern of behavior, whatever difficult circumstance you experienced with them, when you forgive, you can begin to live free of that. But if that's a pattern of behavior for them, they're stuck there. And it's going to affect them and other relationships that they have. And so learning to pray for them and say, God, help that person. I want the best for that person. Will you touch their heart? Will you change their life? And I, I'm telling you, I've lived this in my life I, I, multiple times, but there's a specific relationship where I struggled to forgive someone for a long time. And at some point, God got my attention. He was like, you need to start praying for that person. And after praying for a while for that person, I began to realize my perspective towards them changed. And instead of judgment and anger, um, God gave me a heart for that person. And I began to, to see them as someone who, man, they needed God's love and forgiveness and they were broken and they were harming people out of their own wounding, and God completely changed my heart. But that was a process. It was a journey. And so we have to pray about this because we need help. 
I don't want to be flippant or quick here talking about forgiveness. Like, there are things that, that take a while to work through. What I'm saying is we don't have to do it alone. God will help us. He will walk that road with us. He will remind us of his love towards us and the way he's forgiven us. And then he can help us see other people with the same eyes that he sees them. Eyes of love and compassion. Like that father in the prodigal son story who had every reason to be bitter and frustrated with his son who'd run off and yet who sat watching for him every day and couldn't wait till he came home. And when he did, he ran. And he didn't say, it's about time you got back and you did X, Y, and Z. He just ran up and embraced him, forgiving him, loving him. That takes a miracle for our hearts to get there when we've been hurt and wounded. But with his help, we can live like that. So let's pray and ask help that we could be quick to forgive and that we could be quick to ask for forgiveness. The beauty is when we begin to do this, it sets you free. And suddenly you find you're just dealing with today's stuff, not three years ago's stuff, five years ago's stuff, a decade ago stuff, because it's been dealt with and forgiven and the debt's been wiped clean and now I'm just dealing with today. Amen? Okay, all right. Next, he begins to move into this issue of temptation. Temptation, and so we're gonna look at the first part of verse 13 now, Matthew 6, 13. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So that, that first part, do not lead us into temptation. That word lead, it means to, to bring into or carry inward. So God, don't bring me into a place of temptation. He tells us to pray that. God, don't bring me into that. Don't lead me into it. This word temptation gets used in three basic ways in the scripture. Um, first of all, the word temptation here can mean trial, experiment, an attempt, or a proving ground. So when it's used, when this word temptation is used in more of a good sense, it's used in the sense of a trial, um, a, a season of strengthening. It'd be like, like working out, like I'm, I'm lifting weights and then I increase the weights that I'm lifting to build my muscles up even more. And it's something that's difficult and painful, but it's producing something good. It's something to, to go through from a, a discipline standpoint, a strengthening standpoint. And so this word is used in that regard. It's also used in regard to sin. And so in that instance, it means the enticement to sin, being drawn to sin. And so in that context, it's always used in a bad light. There's times where he talks to us about temptation more as a trial that we are going through that hurts and is painful and is difficult, but it produces good. But anytime he's talking about temptation, the scripture talks about temptation as it relates to sin, it never talks about that as a good trial. Fooling around and flirting with sin is never a source that God uses to strengthen us. It's always communicated in a negative light. Both are difficult. One can produce good. The other is to be avoided. Okay? So these unfold that way. A testing or a trial, a struggle with sin that we're being pulled into. The third way is also in a negative connotation where as people, we can test God. We can test God. And that's always used as a warning in the scripture, warning us not 
to test him. So let's kind of work through these real quick. Let's start um, with kind of the proving ground, the trials that grow us and strengthen us that God can use for good in our lives, even though they're difficult. Um, there's several places you can read about this. First Peter covers this um, in several places, but we're going to take a look at James chapter 1 this morning. And so I could encourage you to read through all of James chapter 1, but um, let's just check out verses 2 through 4 and then again verse 12. Let's read this together here. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. That's the same word that was used um, in Lead Us Not Into Temptation. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Blessed is the man who endures temptation. It's that same word, trials. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. So let's, let's understand temptation correctly. There are times where it's beneficial. That doesn't mean we're supposed to seek it out. Remember what Jesus said? Pray, Lord, don't lead me into temptation. There, there are mentalities in Christian circles that seek out suffering. That's not encouraged in Scripture. What is encouraged is that if suffering finds you, as it inevitably will, to hold on, to endure in those seasons. I mean, as Katie was sharing so eloquently during our worship service, and by the way, I know her well enough to know, like, that's hard-earned. She's talking about real stuff she's walked through. When we face those trials and those circumstances, realizing God's up to something, and Lord, there's a reason why he uses the words patience and endurance here. There's not much else involved. <laughs> Hold on. Don't give up. Hang in there. Pray. God, help me through this. Lead me through this. God, I need you. And hold on for strength. And what he says will happen is that you will find strength you don't know that you have. You'll discover strength that's there. You'll build up new strength that you didn't have before. God takes those difficult things. He turns something good. I want to give you kind of a, an example of this um, where Jesus specifically tested one of his disciples. So are you guys familiar with the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, right? The young boy comes up and he's got the, the bread and the fish and Jesus blesses it and breaks it and they begin to hand it out and it feeds 5,000, probably more than 5,000 people. It's 5,000 men and there's women and children there. He fed thousands of people with just this little bit. But John's gospel gives us this little insight as Jesus is facing this huge obstacle that's going to require a miracle, he doesn't miss the opportunity to have a teachable moment. And so in, in John's Gospel, chapter 6, beginning in verse 5, then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Man, don't you know Philip's going, oh no, <laughs> he wants me to solve this? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Let me read that again. That should catch our attention. Jesus said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus already has it figured out. He knows how he's going to cover it. But he's working in Philip's life to teach him something about the miraculous. Miraculous. 
about what God can do. He's teaching Philip to trust him, to dream big, to believe that, that miraculous things are possible. And so he invites Philip into this. And so poor Philip, um, he doesn't really pass this particular test. <laughs> Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. I mean, he does what we all do, right? He gets real practical. Let's look at the bank account. I have no idea how we're going to feed all these people. I got to feed thousands of people today? I mean, like, think about this for a minute. If I came up to one of you after church and said, hey, we're going to rally a bunch of folks from downtown Knoxville. We're headed to your house this afternoon, and I need you to feed 5,000 people today. You got it? Besides the practical implications of what, where are you going to put those 5,000 people, you're probably thinking, how in the world can I even afford to feed 5,000 people? Philip gets so practical, but Jesus is trying to stretch him to, to, to think beyond what he sees right in front of him, to trust him to do something even in the midst of an overwhelming obstacle. We know from other gospels that the disciples are coming into this moment exhausted. They've just found out John the Baptist has been killed. They've been doing nonstop ministry. They went to a desolate place to rest and 5,000 people followed them there and now they want to eat. They're worn down, exhausted, frustrated and Jesus says, I'm going to use this moment to encourage you to believe in the miraculous. Now, Philip's perspective here, he missed it. But guess what Philip got to watch? Guess what Philip got to participate in? The feeding of the 5,000. Jesus believed. He performed the miracle. He invited the disciples to help him pass everything out. He even told them, you go collect the leftovers. There was 12 baskets, one for each disciple, huge basket of leftovers. He got to participate in that. You know when Philip shows up again, after, after Jesus is raised from the dead? He shows up in the book of Acts chapter eight. And after Philip is walking down a road in the desert and leads an Ethiopian to Jesus and baptizes him in the water, he gets teleported to the next town. What? Philip, who couldn't trust God to feed 5,000 people, Beam me up, Scotty, like it happened. He got teleported. That's an old school reference there. Anybody get the Star Trek reference? I'm not even really like a Trekkie, but I went there. All right. Like he got to experience the miraculous. Here's the beauty of this, guys. Even in our trials and our difficulties, we often are going to get them wrong when we're in them. But God is faithful. And he's working in us. And even in trials and circumstances where we miss out and we get it wrong, he can redeem it later. He shows off later in our lives. It, it's often been the third or fourth time I'm facing a similar circumstance where I finally maybe start to get it. Okay, I think I know how to walk this out a little better this time. God, thank you for being patient with me. And we hold on. And so there's those kinds of temptations and trials. We don't seek them out. But when they come, we hold on, we endure, and we look to him. We look to him. God, what are you up to? Help me. And he does. All right, James continues. Back to James. He now talks about a warning about temptation to sin because there's a difference here. This is a warning. Now picking up in verse 13 of James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. Please catch this. 
God might work in the midst of trials and difficulties. God himself does not tempt us to sin. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God can not only be tempted by evil himself, but nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted. Watch this pattern he gives us. This is so crucial. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires. I talked last Sunday about the danger of being guided by our desires and how we are actually encouraged to do that by our culture that we live in now. And we should be careful what we tend to, what we listen to. Don't be led by your desires. And so we're tempted and we're drawn by our own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He's not confusing. There's no gray area. We allow gray areas. We tiptoe into them. Lead us not into temptation, but temptation will come. We'll be enticed by our desires. But when temptation becomes flirtation, it leads to sin and death. When we play around with it. He says, be in the light. Let it be clear. Let it be obvious. Stay in the light and see, man, I am not going to lead you down a confusing dark path into sin. See it for what it is and ask for help. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 gives us an idea of how we can walk this out and it leads us into the last part of this prayer. Therefore, this is 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 through 14. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. The first warning is this. If, if you think that you're immune to being tempted or drawn into sin, you're wrong. You're wrong. Recognize you are capable of that. There's a reason why every now and then we just get shocked and devastated when we see moral heroes, people that we look up to, fall. And you know, I'm not going to get into all the things that might lead to that, but man, a starting place might be not having that sense of humility that that could happen to me. And so he says, be careful, take heed lest you fall. But then he encourages us. So on one hand, be aware that you can fall. But on the other hand, remember that no temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But you are faithful? No. (laughs) We blow it. We make mistakes. Who's faithful in the midst of temptation? God is faithful. Who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Worship him. Acknowledge him. Look to him. When temptation comes along, recognize the temptation to sin is not from him, and I can look to him for help. God, rescue me, deliver me. And that's exactly where Jesus goes next in the prayer. Matthew 6, 13. And do not lead us into temptation, 
but deliver us from the evil one. I love this. This word deliver, it's a really cool word. This word deliver, it means to draw or drag along the ground. (laughs) Any parents in here ever had to kind of drag your kids away from a situation? It means to draw or to drag along the ground. It means to snatch from danger. So literally, like I'm snatching you out of a dangerous situation. Um, I'm rescuing you. I'm delivering you. So that's, that's what this word means. But it doesn't just mean to drag away from something. This is really cool. This word deliver also means to draw to yourself. So the, the imagery here, like I can think of no better imagery than a mom showing up and not only snatching her child out of a dangerous situation and then going, there you go, I got you away from it. No, it's drawing you out and drawing you in. I've got you. You're gonna be okay. You're with me. That's how he rescues us. He doesn't just come to snatch us away from bad things. He comes to draw us to himself. I love you. I'm with you. I'm for you. I deliver you into my arms of love that will rescue and redeem you. That's his heart when we're in trouble. That's his heart when we're in danger. That's his heart when we're at the tipping point in a, in a trial or difficult season. That's his heart when we're being tempted to stumble into sin. He's there to say, let me draw you away from the danger and let me bring you to myself. It's that fatherly imagery. It's that loving, intimate imagery. Guys, believe it or not, the most, the most difficult and yet practical things we face our own sin and the sins done to us, our own, our own trials and difficult situations, our own temptations, those are actually opportunities to grow and be strengthened in our relationship with Jesus. It's an opportunity to draw closer to him because he's drawing us closer to him. Our action point in this prayer is simply to say, help to say help. That's the prayer. God, you're my Father in heaven. Come, come have your will and way in my life. Feed me. Sustain me. Forgive me when I blow it. Help me forgive others. God, don't, don't lead me into trouble. I'm not looking for it. What I am looking for is your rescue and help in time of trouble. And he offers that. He offers that. And so Jesus wraps all this up and, and he ends where he began. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. He circles back to position. I start by recognizing who my God is. I end by recognizing who my God is. And everything in between is me letting him take charge. Letting him have the keys. Inviting him to come and pull back the couch and clean out the junk inviting him to look into that closet that I've been avoiding dealing with for a long time, saying, God, you're welcome there too. Not just in the formal living room, like my Sunday morning gathering with other people. I'm gonna bring you back home with me and say, God, you can go into that closet now. Forgive me for what's in there. Or God, that thing I've locked away in there that I haven't dealt with that I need to forgive. God, would you be my source and my strength to help me forgive that. 
Or God, maybe it's something I'm hiding in the closet that I still go back to every now and then. A sin, a temptation I'm struggling with. God, deliver me from that. God, I'm gonna go into that closet with you because you're gonna draw me to yourself. I'm not only gonna forsake that sin, I'm gonna find you. He doesn't leave us empty-handed. We get him in return because he draws us to himself. I wanna close with um, these words uh, from David, the psalmist. I would encourage you to read all of Psalm 139, but in the midst of this psalm, this is, this is David giving him the keys. And so David says in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, same word, that temptation trial word. Try me and know my anxieties, know my struggles, and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's the prayer. God, come, search, know me, do your work. Declutter my heart. Take out the junk. God, I'm ready for that remodel. I'm ready for the windows to be open. I'm ready for a wall to get knocked out. I'm ready for there to be a little less boxes in this room. Let your light come shine in. Come make your home here. Search me, know me. Let's pray like that. Amen? Lord, would you do this in our hearts and lives? God, I pray that this prayer, not as a ritual or routine where we would just repeat it over and over again, but God, I do pray that it would become a rhythm in our life that we pray like this, not memorizing words and just saying them for the sake of saying them, but God, understanding the pattern and way of talking to you and living with you that you're inviting us into. God, that this would be daily and familiar to us, that we would recognize you as our Father that we can know, that we would be in awe of you and humbled before you as the creator of the universe. God, that we would have the courage to give you control in our life. God, that we would believe that what you have to say and what you have to offer is the only thing that can truly provide and sustain us. God, would we have courage and humility to seek forgiveness and to give it away. God, to, to flee temptation and to invite you to deliver us and sustain us in the midst of trials and difficulty. God, we thank you that you are the king and you have a kingdom. And Lord, we just pray that our lives would be a part of it. That we would yield to you and let you be the king right here, right now in our lives today. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen.